Libby, 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 Libby. Hi, dude. It's been one week. Oh, shoot. I meant to. Okay, whatever. Um, I'm going to say some stuff that's probably a repeat. I don't know what I've said to you. Honestly, I should just listen back, but I can't. It's too cringy. And I already started recording. So here we go. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to talk to you. It feels like it's been forever since I've talked to, talked to you, even though I'm not talking to you except I am. Okay. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. And I love it. It feels like, are you listening to me or giving me therapy in a way? If you know what I mean, just let it, let me talk it out. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're not here to respond to me, but it helps me to think things through and get, you know, make sense of things. Um, you're my rubber duck, so to speak. It's like, uh, it's like a thing in, <laughs> like programming is like you have your rubber duck who you talk to, to work problems out and they like help you without doing anything except listening. So that's that's beautiful um you know what else is beautiful but also creepy and weird and scary and disturbing life you know what i'm like i can't okay uh taylor had her baby i'm kept informed by my mother because i deactivated my facebook i don't know if you noticed i did do that um i don't know if i told you either i don't remember what i've said to be honest, but, um, Taylor had her baby. Yo, she's a parent now. Kendra is going to have her baby. They're getting evicted. I asked her cause I'm like, what's going on here? But their eviction date is January 26th. She might've already told me that, but I'm terrible with, no, I mean, yeah, now it's in writing. So now I can be like, I know when. But anyway, so that's going to happen for Kendra to birth twins into the earth, onto the, onto this rock we're floating along on, you know, it's crazy. Um, and here I am trying to get my shit together. What can you do? Take it one step at a time. <laughs> new year, new me. Just kidding. Um, Nah, I'm kidding, but I also would like to make some changes to my habits, but hopefully maybe replace some bad habits with some good habits. You know, flip-flop what's going on here, but it will be challenging. I will need to hold myself accountable. I've already not done that because today I'm just like, hmm, do I do this or do I not? I should like to stop doing that, but I like doing that thing. <laughs> so here I am doing the thing but it's okay because I'm being productive because I'm reading you another chapter now I don't know if I told I'm pretty sure I told you about my uncle and he gave me the fifth book on audiobook and I didn't have a heart to tell him that I read it out loud to you and the world I guess um but then also as a white elephant gift I received Jared and I received um two books on tape like literally on cassette tape from his household. And he was like, Haha, those are actually really good books. And I've been meaning to like listen to that one again, but I can't find it anywhere. And I'm just like, oh, no way. So then I, Jared has this sweet thing. Okay, so you know the record player in my, in my dining room. It has cassette 
player built into it, as well as a, a radio and um, a, a turntable. And um, it's got this headphone jack on the front of it that has always irritated the shit out of me because I've always wanted to just plug like a like a 3.5 millimeter you know what I'm saying like an ordinary headphone jack right in that but it's an antique that bad boy is old came from my mother like I stole from my mother but she got it like in the 80s or some shit like that so um anyway that is not like a regular headphone jack but Jared had this little machine this little machine <laughs> you plug in like a guitar cord I don't know what it's called okay I don't know. It's a guitar chord, okay? And you plug it in. And then he plugged it into this little converter majig that also had like a USB on the end of it. And I don't know what else. I did not even look at it. He set it up for me. It's all plugged together, basically chained. This cords together to my computer so that I could stream my stereo to my pewter and record. So I, I don't know. Is that like illegal? I don't know. Maybe it's illegal, but probably illegal that I shared the copy of the audiobook with my uncle. That's probably illegal. I don't know, okay? I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like maybe that's illegal. Um, but anywho, who cares? Um, whatever. It's his cassette that he has from like a million years ago. Just kidding. Not a million years. I don't know. Maybe the 90s. But then I put it on to the pewter. <laughs> and I sent him a link on... And he was like, OMG, sweet. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. So that happened. It was really cool. Except that I got Mackenzie mixed up in it. That's my cousin. Um, because I sent her a snap while I was doing it. And I was like, hmm. She's like, I can't believe you're actually listening to that audiobook. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not listening to it. I'm recording it. And when I'm done recording it, I'm going to give a copy to your dad. Except I didn't say dad. I said Faja. Because I'm a... Okay. And then I'm like, what do you do? Like, then she texted me and was like, oh, are you putting that on your computer? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you should give a copy to my dad. I was like, literally, I told, like, I literally said that's, but also I sent it in a Snapchat and I was talking. So I do not know. Maybe she did not hear me in the Snapchat. But anyway, I was just like, that's why I'm doing it. LOL. But I don't know. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's my story. Except I would like to listen. Here's the thing. I miss, but no, I guess it's, when you think about it, it's really not that big of a deal because, um, there used to be a time in my life where at work I could like listen to someone tell a story or like someone have a conversation where you're like following what's happening. And, um, I, I love that. But my job now, I can't like, there's too many, I'm Brain power is not enough <laughs> to do both at the same time. So I have to just like work and listening to nothing, which is the white noise at work or music. But okay, I'm going to say this about having short hair. I know I'm off, way off topic, but it's not off topic because stream of consciousness. I don't like wearing earbuds because my ears are, I don't know, misshapen or what, but they hurt. It literally, it causes me pain and strife to put an earbud in my ear and let something sit inside my ear. It hurts. So then I'm like, okay, well, what's the solution? And over, like, uh, 
something that sits on top of your ear, right? No, because my ears are also misshapen in that way. So it just like kind of pushes them in this weird place and then that hurts too. So um, over ear, over ear headphones is the solution for me. So I love that and that's great. But typically, and this is in all of my experiences with them, they just like sit on your head and just like, they're just sitting on your head. You know what I mean? Like all the weight of them is just sitting right on top of your head, pushing your hair down, making it flat. And like weirdly like bed, like a weird bed head that you get from wearing it. And it's like, mm, not a good look. So all these tribulations is what I'm saying. I usually avoid musica. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sorry that I've gotten off topic completely. None of that matters because you're listening to me read you a book and I'm get to read a book and I love reading book and I love escaping into this world. So come with me. Also, I'm thirsty as a bird because, well, thirsty as a bird. The birds, I don't know. I saw a flamingo. I saw a video of a flamingo flying. It was like, it looked so stupid. I was like, what? I don't know if it was just because it was like taking off or I, it looked ridiculous, but um, if you haven't seen that, maybe look it up. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh. Okay. I have bye. I love bye so much. Such a good beverage. Okay. Chapter 10. The house of Gaunt. Oh boy. Gaunt. Uh, the chapter 10, the house of Gaunt. Chapter 10. I'm sorry. Oh my god, I keep doing it. Chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Year 6. By J.K. Rowling. Oh, sure. I should have said by J.K. Rowling. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know how to say fancy. Um, This is not my book. I did not write it. Okay, I'm just reading it out loud and I'm... Mm-hmm. That's... Yep. For you, Libby. Because I love you. Okay, chapter 10, The House of Gaunt. The chapter art is a drawing as per usual. We have a door. And it looks like it's kind of set. I don't know if it's... The shadows are spooky AF. If if that's a... I don't know if that's like a great descriptor, but there's like... um, It's a wooden door. And it's got two hinges and it literally just looks like like a barn door like you slap some wood together and made a door and then put like a wood trim around it i feel like we might have seen this door before i don't know it's pretty familiar and there's like vines and shit growing all over like all on the sides and like over like arching and there's stone steps there's two steps Except these steps are made of bricks, I guess. So the top step is made of four bricks and the bottom step is made of three bricks. And on the door, there appears to be a dead snake. <laughs> a dead snake. And it's nailed to the door. Poor snake. Oh, the poor snake. Poor slithery snake. All right. Oh, I might be feeling like Linda Belcher today. Okay. Sorry. 
For the rest of the week's potions lessons, Harry continued to follow the half-blood prince's instructions wherever they deviated from libaceous borages, with the result that by their fourth lesson, Slughorn was raving about Harry's abilities, saying that he had rarely taught anyone so talented. Neither Ron nor Hermione was delighted by this. Although Harry had offered to share his book with both of them, Ron had more difficulty deciphering the handwriting than Harry did, and could not keep and could not keep asking Harry to read aloud or it might look suspicious. <laughs> that definitely would look suspicious, my dude. Okay, well, poor Ron. Hermione, meanwhile, do they not talk while they're doing I suppose you're probably like focused on like counting. You like timing things? Like counting things? I don't know. It seems kind of hard. <laughs> Hermione, meanwhile, was resolutely plowing on with what she called the official instructions, but becoming increasingly bad-tempered as they yielded poorer results than the prince's. Harry wondered vaguely who the half-blood prince had been, although the amount of home- You know what? You know what I- I feel like Hermione should be studying it and being like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the difference here? How is this improving or, like, changing? this recipe it's not a recipe you're just like cooking right <laughs> i don't think that's how it works okay sorry i'm getting away from it but i suppose we are this is a potiony now that we know who the half of the prince is it's a book is about potions you know what i'm saying okay Harry wondered vaguely who the half-blood prince had been, although the amount of homework they had been given prevented him from reading the whole of his copy of Advanced Potion Making. He had skimmed through it sufficiently to see that there was barely a page on which the prince had not made additional notes, not all of them concerned with potion making. Here and there were directions for what looked like spells that the prince had made up himself. Or herself, said Hermione irritably, overhearing Harry pointing some of these out to Ron in the common room on Saturday evening. It might have been a girl. I think the handwriting looks more like a girl's than a boy's. The half-blood prince, he was called, Harry said. How many girls have been princes? Hermione seemed to have no answer to this. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. You can say whatever you want. Maybe I want to be a prince, my dude. Then I'd be like, I'm the prince. I always like, um, yeah, I don't know. Being queen. Um, being queen. Oh, I don't know. Queens. Kings. Meh. Queen. Sure. Princess. Meh. Prince. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sure. That's what I like. I like that. I would like to act like a prince. Until I'm a queen. If you feel me. Um, <laughs> okay seriously seriously that's what i would want oh do you know what i mean to do all the princey things i don't know if i i guess you call me a princess but i don't care but i don't want to do the princessy things okay i've never been a princess never will be but i will be your queen okay okay okay, okay. i'm so sorry <laughs> my god, Libby, I'm so sorry. Okay. Ooh, the half-blood prince he was called, Harry said. How many girls have been princes? Hermione seemed to have no answer to this. She merely scowled and twitched her essay on the principles of rematerialization away from Ron. Okay, I will say this. Ron, who was trying to read it upside down. I'm going to say one more thing about princes versus princesses. I feel 
that the word princess could be used derogatorily because I have felt it has been used derogatory, derogatorily towards me in my past with an old woman that I worked with. And she also gri groped my ass. Like she grabbed, she squeezed my butt in front of witness. Witness and I walked away from the situation and I had to say, is this real life? But anyway, she would be like, she would use like endearing words to try and be like, oh, pumpkin and sweetie and honey and princess and little boy. Little boy, I'm pretty sure she called him. Like a grown man being called little boy. Okay, whatever. I need a... That's a story for another day. <laughs> Harry looked at his watch and hurriedly put the old copy of Advanced Potion Making back into his bag. It's five to eight. I better go. I'll be late for Dumbledore. Oh, gasped Hermione, looking up at once. Good luck. We'll wait up. We want to hear what he teaches you. <laughs> Yum. Okay, I freaking... Seriously, if I was learning about magic, I feel like I, I would be very vivacious about it. I really get Hermione. If you haven't caught me, if you haven't caught that. Hope it goes okay, said Ron. And the pair of them watched Harry leave through the portrait hole. Harry proceeded through deserted corridors, though he had to step hastily behind a statue when Professor Trelawney appeared around a corner, muttering to herself as she, sh as she shuffled a pack of dirty-looking playing cards, reading them as she walked. Playing cards? What? Really? Two of spades. Conflict. She murmured, she murmured as she passed the place where Harry crouched, hidden. Seven of spades. An ill omen. Ten of spades. Violence. Knave of spades. What is a knave? Jack. Knave? Is that what a knave is? Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, whatever. A knave of spades. A dark young man. Possibly troubled. One who dislikes the questioner. She stopped dead. Right on the other side of Harry's statue. Well, that can't be right, she said, annoyed. And Harry heard her reshuffling vigorously as she set off again. <laughs> Me, that can be right reshuffle. <laughs> Leaving nothing but a whiff of cooking sherry behind her. Harry, oh my god, my throat's so dry. Wow. Harry waited until he was quite sure she had gone. Then hurried off again until he reached the spot in the seventh floor corridor where a single gargoyle stood against the wall. A slurp. Acid pops, said Harry, and the gargoyle leapt aside. The wall behind it slid apart and a moving spiral stone staircase was revealed, onto which Harry stepped, so that he was carried in smooth circles up to the door with the brass knocker that led to Dumbledore's office. Harry knocked. Come in, said Dumbledore's voice. Good evening, sir. <laughs> oh my god, okay. I don't know if that sounded like a bonk my head, but I did and it wasn't my head. So. Okay, good evening. Why am I saying it like that? Good evening, sir, said Harry, walking into the headmaster's office. Ah, good evening, Harry. Sit down, said Dumbledore, smiling. I hope you've had an enjoyable first week back at school. Yes, thanks, sir, said Harry. You must have been busy. A detention under your belt already. Uh, began Harry awkwardly, but Dumbledore did not look too stern. I have arranged with Professor... <laughs> with Professor Snape, that you will do your detention next Saturday instead. Right, said Harry, 
who had more pressing matters on his mind than Snape's detention, and now looked around surreptitiously for some indication of what Dumbledore was planning to do with him this evening. The circular office looked just as it always did. The delicate silver instruments stood on spindle-legged tables, puffing smoke and whirring. Portraits of previous headmasters and headmistresses dozed in their frames, and Dumbledore's magnificent phoenix, Fox. 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 Yeah, Fox. Stood on his perch behind the door, watching Harry with bright interest. It did not even look as though Dumbledore had cleared a space for dueling practice. For dueling, pra- for dueling practice? For dueling practice. Uh, so, Harry, I, there was no, I said that because I'm dumb. <laughs> so, Harry, said Dumbledore in a businesslike voice, you've been wondering, I am sure, what I have planned for you during these, for want of a better word, lessons? Yes, sir. Well, I have decided that it is time now that you know what prompted Lord Voldemort to try and kill you 15 years ago for you to be given certain information. There was a pause. You said at the end of last term you were going to tell me everything, said Harry. It was hard to keep a note of accusation from his voice. Sir, he added. And so I did, said Dumbledore placidly. Um, yeah, okay. I don't know how to say it pleasantly, but sure. I told you everything I know. From this point forth, we shall be leaving the firm foundation of fact and journeying together through the murky marshes of memory into thickets of wildest guesswork. From here on in, Harry, I may be as woefully wrong as Humphrey Belcher. No relation to Bob Belcher who believed the time was ripe for a cheese cauldron. But you think you're right, said Harry. Naturally, I do. But as I have already proven to you, I make mistakes like the next man. In fact, being, forgive me, rather cleverer than most men, my mistakes tend to be correspondingly huger. Sir, said Harry tentatively, does what you're going to tell me have anything to do with the prophecy? Will it help me survive? It was a very great deal to do with... It has a very great deal to do with the prophecy, said Dumbledore, as casually as if Harry had asked him about the next day's weather. And I certainly hope that it will help you to survive. Dumbledore got to his feet and walked around the desk, past Harry, who turned eagerly in his seat to watch Dumbledore bending over the cabinet beside the door. When Dumbledore straightened up, He was holding a familiar shallow stone basin etched with odd markings around its rim. He placed the pensive on the desk in front of Harry. You look worried. Harry had indeed been eyeing the pensive. Pensive. The pensive. Pensive. Oh my gosh. With some apprehension. His previous experience with the odd device that stored and revealed thoughts and memories, though highly instructive, had also been uncomfortable. The last time he had disturbed its contents, he had seen much more than he would have wished. But Dumbledore was smiling. This time, you entered the pensive with me, and even more unusually, with permission. Where are we going, sir? For a trip down Bob Ogden's memory lane, said Dumbledore, 
pulling from his pocket a crystal bottle containing a swirling, silvery white substance. Who was Bob Ogden? He was employed by the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, said Dumbledore. He died some time ago, but not before I had tracked him down and persuaded him to confide these recollections to me. We are about to accompany him on a visit he made in the course of his duties. If you will stand, Harry. But Dumbledore was having difficulty pulling out the stopper of the crystal bottle. His injured hand seemed stiff and painful. Shall, shall I, sir? No matter, Harry. Dumbledore pointed his, well, I'm, for the record, I'm like really, really cold right now. I, I should probably put a sweater on or something, but I think, feel like I'm starting to shiver and I hope it's not a pickling me. <laughs> Dumbledore pointed his wand at the bottle and the cork flew out. Sir, sir, how did you injure your hand? Harry asked again, looking at the blackened fingers with a mixture of revulsion and pity. Now, it's not the moment for that story, Harry. Not yet. We have an appointment with Bob Ogden. Dumbledore tipped the silvery contents of the bottle into the pensive, where they swirled and shimmered, neither liquid nor gas. After you, said Dumbledore, gesturing toward the bowl. Harry bent forward, took a deep breath, and plunged his face into silvery substance. He felt his feet leave the office floor. He was... F okay, so I want to know, like, are you literally falling into the thing like your physical form has fallen in or you just feel like you're okay have you seen uh, lock and key is it like leave your body behind and then magics you in that would be crazy okay i don't think it's like that but i don't really know <sighs> his felt his he felt his feet leave the office floor he was falling falling through whirling darkness and then Quite suddenly, he was blinking in dazzling sunlight. Before his eyes had adjusted, Dumbledore landed beside him. They were standing in a country lane bordered by high, tangled hedgerows, beneath a summer sky as bright and blue as a forget-me-not. Forget-me-not. <laughs> as a forget-me-not. Some ten feet in front of them stood a short, plump man wearing enormously thick glasses that reduced his eyes to mole-like specks. He was reading a wooden signpost that was sticking out of the brambles on the left-hand side of the road. Harry knew this must be Ogden. He was the only person in sight, and he was also wearing the strange assortment of clothes so often chosen by inexperienced wizards trying to look like muggles. In this case, a frock coat and spats over whatever... What incarnation is a frock coat and spats? It's over a striped one-piece bathing costume. A bathing costume? For goodness sake. Before Harry had time to do more than register his bizarre appearance, however, Ogden had set off at a brisk walk down the lane. Dumbledore and Harry followed. As they passed the wooden sign, Harry looked up at his two arms. His. It's two arms. The one pointing back the way they had come read, Great Hangleton, five miles. The arm pointing after Ogden said, Little Hangleton, one mile. They walked a short way with nothing to see but the hedgerows. The wide blue sky, the wide blue sly, sky, overhead, and then swishing, frock-coated figure ahead. What is a frock coat? Is a frock coat, like, I don't know what it is. And then the lane curved to the left and fell away. 
sloping steeply down a hillside so that they had a sudden unexpected view of a whole valley laid out in front of them. Harry could see a village, undoubtedly Little Hangleton, wrestled, nestled between two steep hills, its church and graveyard clearly visible. Across the valley, set on the opposite hillside, was a handsome manor house surrounded by a wide expanse of velvety green lawn. Ogden had broken into a reluctant trot due to the steep downward slope. Dumbledore lengthened his stride, and Harry hurried to keep up. He thought Little Hangleton must be their final destination, and wondered, as he had done on the night they had found Slughorn, why they had, appro- why they had to approach it from such a distance. He soon discovered that he was mistaken in thinking that they were going to the village, however. The lane curved to the right, and when they rounded the corner, it was to see the very edge of the Ogden, very edge of Ogden's frock coat vanishing through a gap in the hedge. Dumbledore and Harry followed him into a, onto a narrow dirt track bordered by higher and wilder hedgerows than those they had left behind. The path was crooked, rocky, and potholed, sloping downhill like the last one, and it seemed to be heading for a patch of dark trees a little below them. Sure enough, the track soon opened up at the copse, and Dumbledore and Harry came to a halt behind Ogden, who had stopped and drawn his wand. Despite the cloudless sky, the old trees ahead cast deep, dark, cool shadows, and it was a few seconds before Harry's eyes discerned the building half-hidden amongst the tangle of tree tr- trunks. The tangle of trunks. The tangle of trunks. Interesting. It seemed to him a very strange location to choose for a house, or else an odd decision to leave the trees growing nearby, blocking all light and the view of the valley below. He wondered whether it was inhabited. <clears throat> Excuse me. Its walls were mossy, and so many tiles had fallen off the roof that the rafters were visible in places. Nettles grew all around it, their tips reaching the windows which were tiny and thick with grime. Just as he had concluded that nobody could possibly live there, however, one of the windows was thrown open with a clatter, and a thin trickle of steam or smoke issued from it, as though somebody was cooking. Ogden's... I'm sorry, Ogden moved forward quietly, and it seemed to Harry rather cautiously. As the dark shadows of the trees slid over him, he stopped again, staring at the front door to which somebody had... had nailed a dead snake. Then there was a rustle and a crack, and a mag... Why? A mag in rans! A man in rags! Dropped from the nearest tree, landing on his feet right in front of Ogden, who leapt backwards so fast he stood on the tails of his frock coat and stumbled. Frock coat. Is this like a trench coat? Like a full-length trench coat? That's what I'm imagining. Okay. You're not welcome. The man standing before them had thick hair so matted with dirt it could have been any color. Several of his teeth were missing. His eyes were small and dark and stared in opposite directions. <laughs> he might have looked oh, he might have looked comical, but he did not. The effect was frightening, and Harry could not blame Ogden for backing away several more paces before he spoke. Uh, good morning. I'm from the Ministry of Magic. You're not welcome. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't understand you, said Ogden nervously. Harry thought Ogden was being extremely dim, 
The stranger was making himself very clear in Harry's opinion, particularly as he was brandishing a wand in one hand and a short and rather bloody knife in the other. You understand? Oh, right. Well, I think I was supposed to be talking snake, but let's... Okay. You understand him, I'm sure, Harry, said Dumbledore quietly. Yes, of course, said Harry, slightly nonplussed. Why can't Ogden? But as his eyes found the dead snake on the door again, he suddenly understood. He's speaking parcel tongue? Very good, said Dumbledore. Um, I don't know. Okay, sorry. He was nodding and smiling. <laughs> Very good, said Dumbledore, nodding and smiling. The man in rags was now advancing on Ogden, knife in one hand, wand in the other. Now look, Ogden began, but too late. There was a bang and Ogden was on the ground, clutching his nose while a nasty yellowish goo squirted from between his fingers. Morphin! said a loud voice. An elderly man had come hurrying out of the cottage, banging the door behind him so that the dead snake swung pathetically. This man was shorter than the first and oddly proportioned. His shoulders were very broad and his arms overlong, which, with his bright brown eyes, short scrubby hair, and wrinkled face, gave him the look of a powerful aged monkey. He came to a halt beside the man with the knife, who was now cackling with laughter at the sight of Ogden on the ground. Ministry, is it? said the older man, looking down at Ogden. Correct, said Ogden angrily, dabbing his face. And you, I take it, are Mr. Gaunt? That's right, said Gaunt. Got you in the face, did he? Yes, he did, snapped Ogden. Should have made your presence known, shouldn't you, said Gaunt aggressively. This is private property. Can't just walk in here and not expect my son to defend himself. Defend himself against what, man, said Ogden, clambering back to his feet. Busybodies, intruders, muggles, and filth. Ogden pointed his wand at his own nose, which was still issuing large amounts of what looked like yellow pus, and the flow stopped at once. Mr. Gaunt spoke out of the corner of his mouth to Morphin. Get in the house. Don't worry. It doesn't say that. It says, get in the house. Don't argue. <laughs> That's my new parcel tongue voice. I'm going to try, try to do. This time, ready for it, Harry recognized parcel tongue. Even while he could understand what was being said, he distinguished the weird hissing noise that was all Ogden could hear. Morphin seemed to be on the point of disagreeing. But when his father cast him a threatening look, he changed his mind, lumbering away to the cottage with an odd rolling gait and slamming the front door behind him so that the snake swung sadly again. I'm... Oh, it's your son I'm here to see, Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden as he mopped the last of the pus from the front of his coat. That was Morphin, wasn't it? Ah, that was Morphin, said the old man indifferently. Are you pure blood? he asked, suddenly aggressive. That's neither here nor there, said Ogden coldly, and Harry felt his respect for Ogden rise. Apparently, Gaunt felt rather in felt rather differently. He squinted into Ogden's face and muttered, in what was clearly supposed to be an offensive tone. Ooh. Now I come to think about it, I've seen noses like yours down in the village. I don't doubt it if your son's been let loose on them, said Ogden. Perhaps we could continue this discussion inside. Inside? Yes, Mr. Gaunt, I've already told you. I'm here about Morphin. 
We sent an owl. I'm no use for owls, said Gaunt. I don't open letters. Then you can hardly complain that you get no warning of visitors, said Ogden tartly. I am here following a serious breach of wizarding law, which occurred here in the early or the early hours of this morning. All right, all right, all right, bellowed Gaunt. Come in the bleeding house then, and much good it'll do you. The house seemed to contain three tiny rooms. Two doors led off the main room, which served as kitchen and living room combined. Morphin was sitting in a filthy armchair beside the smoking fire, twisting a live adder between his thick fingers and crooning softly at it in parcel tongue. Hissy. Oh, I already forgot how I did the voice. Hissy, hissy, little snaky. Slither on the floor. You be good to Morphin, or he'll nail you to the door. Ooh. There was a scuffling noise in the corner behind the open window, and Harry realized that there was somebody else in the room. A girl whose ragged gray dress was the exact color of the dirty stone wall behind her. She was standing beside a steaming pot on a grimy black stove and was fiddling around with the shelf of squalid-looking pots and pans above it. Her hair was lank and dull, and she had a a plain, pale, rather heavy face. Her eyes, like her brother's, stared in opposite directions. She looked a little cleaner than the two men, but Harry thought he had never seen a more defeated-looking person. My daughter, Merope, said Gaunt grudgingly, as Ogden looked inquiringly toward her. Good morning, said Ogden. She did not answer, but with a frightened glance at her father, turned her back on the room and continued shifting the pots on the shelf behind her. Well, Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden, to get straight to the point, we have reason to believe that your son, Morphin, performed magic in front of a muggle late last night. There was a deafening clang. Merope had dropped one of the pots. Pick it up, Gaunt bellowed at her. How am I supposed to hiss when there's no s to work with? You don't pick it up. (laughs) Gaunt bellowed at her. That's it. Grub on the floor like some milk. Dang it. Filthy muggle. What's your wand for, you useless sack of muck? Mr. Gaunt, please, said Ogden in a shocked voice as Merope, who had already picked up the pot, blushed blotchily scarlet, lost her group, her, her grip on the pot again, drew her wand shakily from her pocket, pointed it at the pot and muttered a hasty, inaudible spell that caused the pot to shoot across the floor away from her, hit the opposite wall and crack in two. Morphin let out a mad cackle of laughter. Gaunt screamed, Mend it, you pointless lump! Mend it! Merope stumbled across the room, but before she had time to raise her wand, Ogden had lifted his own and said firmly, Reparo! The mot oh my god. The mot pended itself instantly. The pot mended itself instantly. Gaunt looked for a moment as though he was going to shout at Ogden, but seemed to think better of it. Instead, he jeered at his daughter. Lucky the nice man from the ministry's here, isn't it? Perhaps he'll take you off my hands. Perhaps he doesn't mind dirty squibs. Without looking at anybody or thanking Ogden, Marot picked up the pot and returned it, hands trembling to its shelf. 
She then stood quite still, her back against the wall between the filthy window and the stove, as though she wished for nothing more than to sink into the stone and vanish. Mr. Gaunt, Ogden began again, as I've said, the reason for my visit- I heard you the first time, snapped Gaunt, and so what? Morphin gave a muggle a bit of what was coming to him. What about it then? Morphin has broken wizarding law, said Ogden sternly. Morphin has broken wizarding law. Gaunt imitated Ogden's voice, making it pompous and sing-song. Oh, pompous and sing. Morphin has broken wizarding law. Hmm. Whatever. Morphin cackled again. He taught a filthy muggle a lesson. That's illegal now, is it? Yes, said Ogden. I'm afraid it is. He pulled from an inside pocket a small scroll of parchment and unrolled it. What's that, then, his sentence, said Gaunt, his voice rising angrily. It is a summons to the ministry for a hearing. Summons? Summons? Who do you think you are summoning my son anywhere? I'm head of the magical law enforcement squad, said Ogden. And you think we're scum, do you? screamed Gaunt, advancing on Ogden now with a dirty yellow nailed finger pointing at his chest. Scum who will come running when the ministry... Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Yo. That just came right out of my face. I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm so sorry. Scum who will come running when the ministry tells him to. Do you know who you're talking to? You filthy little mudblood, do you? Do you know who you're... That doesn't make sense, but whatever. I was under the impression that I was speaking to Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden, looking wary but standing his ground. That's right, roared Gaunt. For a moment, Harry thought Gaunt, 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 oh my gosh, I can't. Gaunt was making an obscene hand gesture, but then realized that he was showing Ogden the ugly black stoned ring he was wearing on his middle finger, waving it before Ogden's eyes. See this? See this? Know what it is? Know where it came from? Centuries it's been in our family. That's how far back we go. And pure blood all the way. Know how much I've been offered for this with the Peveril coat of arms engraved on the stone? I have really no idea, said Ogden, blinking at the ring sailed with, br- blinking as the ring sailed within an inch of his nose. And it's quite beside the point, Mr. Gaunt. Your son has committed with a howl of rage. Gaunt ran toward his daughter. For a split second, Harry thought he was going to throttle her as his hand flew to her throat. Next moment, he was dragging her toward Ogden by a gold chain around her neck. See this? He bellowed at Ogden, shaking a heavy gold locket at him, while Marope spluttered and gasped for breath. I see it, I see it, said Ogden hastily. Slytherins! yelled Gaunt. Salazar Slytherins! We're his last living descendants. What do you say to that, eh? Eh. What do you say to that, huh? (laughs) I don't know how to say that word. Mr. Gaunt, your daughter, said Ogden in alarm, but Gaunt had already released Marope. She staggered away from him, back to her corner, massaging her neck and gulping for air. So, said Gaunt triumphantly, as though he had just proved a complicated point beyond all possible dispute. Don't you go talking to us as if we're dirt on your shoes. 
generations of purebloods, wizards all, more than you can say, I don't doubt. And he spat on the floor at Ogden's feet. Morphin cackled again. Merope huddled beside the window, her head bowed and her face hidden by her lank hair, said nothing. Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden doggedly, I'm afraid that neither your ancestors nor mine have anything to do with the matter in hand. I am here because of Morphin. Morphin and the muggle he accosted light last night. Our information, he glanced down at his scroll of parchment, is that Morphin performed a jinx or hex on, on the said muggle, causing him to erupt in highly painful hives. Morphin giggled. Be quiet, boy, <laughs> snarled Gaunt in parcel tongue, and Morphin fell silent again. And so what if he did then, Gaunt said defiantly to Ogden. I expect you've wiped the... F oh my gosh, why can't I talk? I expect you've wiped the muggle's filthy face clean for him and his memory to boot. That's hardly the point, is it, Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden. This was an unprovoked attack on a defenseless... Arr, I had you marked as a muggle lover the moment I saw you, sneered Gaunt, and he spat on the floor again. This discussion is getting us nowhere, said Ogden firmly. It is clear from your son's attitude that he feels no remorse for his actions. He glanced down at his scroll of parchment again. Morphin will attend a hearing on the 14th of September to answer the charges of using magic in front of a muggle and causing harm and distress to the same to that same mug Ogden broke off. The jingling, clopping sounds of horses and loud, laughing voices were drifting in through the open window. Apparently, the winding lane to the village passed very close to the, to the copse, to the copse where the house stood. Gaunt froze, listening, his eyes wide. Morphin hissed and turned his face toward the sounds, his expression hungry. Marope raised her head. Her face, Harry saw, was starkly white. My God, what an eyesore, rang out a girl's voice, as clearly audible through the open window as if she had stood in the room beside them. Couldn't your father have that hovel, that hovel cleared away, Tom? It's not ours, said a young man's voice. Everything on the other side of the valley belongs to us. But that cottage belongs to an old tramp called Gaunt and his children. The son's quite mad. You should hear some of the stories they tell in the village. The girl laughed. The jingling, clopping noises were growing louder and louder. Morphin made to get out of his armchair. S keep your seat, S said his father, warningly in parcel tongue. <coughs> I'm sorry. My, my mouth's so dry, my throat's so tickly. Tom, said the girl's voice again, now so close, they were clearly right beside the house. I might be wrong, but has somebody nailed the snake to that door? Good Lord, you're right, said the man's voice. It'll be the sun. I told you he's not right in the head. Don't look at it, Cecilia, darling. The jingling and clapping sounds were now growing fainter again. Darlings, whispered Morphin in parcel tongue, looking at his sister. Darling, he called her. So he wouldn't have you anyway. Marope was so white, Harry felt sure she was going to faint. What's that? 
said Gaunt sharply, also in parcel tongue, looking from his son to his daughter. What did you say, Morphins? She likes looking at that muggles, said Morphin, a vicious expression on his face as he stared at his sister, who now looked terrified. Always in the garden when he passes, peering through the hedge at him, isn't she? And last night's. Marope shook her head jerkily, imploringly, but Morphin went on ruthlessly, hanging out of the window, waiting for him to ride home, wasn't she? Hanging out of the window to look at a muggle, said Gaunt quietly. I can't do this parcel tongue anymore. (laughs) All three of the Gaunts seemed to have forgotten Ogden who was looking both bewildered and irritated at this renewed outbreak of incomprehensible hissing and rasping. "'Is it true?' said Gaunt in a deadly voice, advancing a step or two toward the terrified girl. "'My daughters, pure-blooded descendants of Salazar Slytherins, hankering after a filthy, dirty-veined muggles. "'Oh, I don't... For the record, I don't like the um the parallels with racism here is it does like you know what I mean like being paid hateful for no reason I don't like it so I'm just gonna put that out there I'm not a huge fan of pretending to be evil but I don't know <clears throat> anyway Marope shook her head frantically pressing herself into the wall apparently unable to speak. But I got him, fathers, cackled Morphin. I got him as he went by. And he didn't look so pretty with hives all over him, did he, Maropes? You disgusting little squib. You filthy little blood traitors, roared Gaunt. I can't yell. I can't roar in at the same time, okay? Losing control. He was losing control. And his hands closed around his daughter's throat. God, why is everyone so rude to Marope? Give Marope a... Give her, give her a break! Both Harry and Ogden yelled, No! at the same time. Ogden raised his wand and cried, Relatio! Gaunt was thrown backward away from his daughter. He tripped over a chair and fell flat on his back. With a roar of rage, Morphin leapt out of his chair and ran at Ogden, brandishing his bloody knife and firing hexes indiscriminately from his wand. Ogden ran for his life. Dumbledore indicated that they ought to follow, and Harry obeyed, Marope's screams echoing in his ears. Ogden hurtled up the path and erupted onto the main, the main lane, his arms over his head, where he collided with the glossy chestnut horse ridden by a very handsome, dark-haired young man. Both he and the pretty girl riding beside him on a gray horse roared with laughter at the sight of Ogden who bounced off the horse's flank and set off again, his frock coat flying, covered from head to foot in dust, running pell-mell up the lane. I think that will do, Harry, said Dumbledore. He took Harry by the elbow and tugged. Next moment they were both soaring weightlessly through darkness, until they landed squarely on their feet, back in Dumbledore's new twilight office. What happened to the girl in the cottage, said Harry at once, as Dumbledore lit extra lamps with a flick of his wand. Marope, or whatever her name was. Oh, she survived. I don't know. how. I feel like I'm in the States, so I'm sorry. 
That's kind of why I said it like that, but she survived. Said Dumbledore, reseating himself behind his desk and indicating that Harry should sit down too. Ogden apparated back to the ministry and returned with reinforcements within 15 minutes. Morphin and his father attempted to fight, but both were overpowered, removed from the cottage, and subsequently convicted by the wizengamot. Morphin, who had already had a record of muggle attacks, was sentenced to three years in Azkaban. Marvolo, who had injured several ministry employees in addition to Ogden, received six months. Marvolo, Harry repeated wonderingly. That's right, said Dumbledore, smiling in approval. I am glad to see you're keeping up. That old man was Voldemort's grandfather, yes, said Dumbledore. Marvolo, his son Morphin, and his daughter Merope were the last of the Gaunts, a very ancient wizarding family noted for a vein of instability and violence that flourished through the, de through the generations due to their habit of marrying their own... Okay, you know what? I knew we were getting here for surely the eyes that go in the other directions. Telltale. Okay. Lack of sense coupled with a great liking for grandeur meant that the family gold was squandered several generations before Marvola was born. He, as you saw, was left in squalor and poverty, with a very nasty temper, a fantastic amount of arrogance and pride, and a couple of family heirlooms that he treasured just as much as his son and rather more than his daughter. So Marope, said Harry, leaning forward in his chair and staring at Dumbledore. So Marope was... Sir, does that mean she was... Voldemort's mother? It does, said Dumbledore. And it so happens that we also had a glimpse of Voldemort's father. I wonder whether you noticed? The muggle Morphin attacked? The man on the horse? Very good indeed, said Dumbledore, beaming. We were like... Okay, I mean, whatever. <sighs> it feels obvious. Not good indeed. But he's beaming nonetheless. Yes, that was Tom Riddle Sr., the handsome muggle who used to go riding past the Gaunt Cottage, and for whom Rope Gaunt cherished a secret burning passion. And they ended up married, Harry said in disbelief, unable to imagine two people less likely to fall in love. I think you are forgetting, said Dumbledore, that Marope was a witch. I do not believe that her magical powers appeared to their, ver to their best advantage when she was being terrorized by her father. Once Morvolo and Morphin were safely in Azkaban, once she was alone and free for the first time in her life, then, I am sure, she was able to give full rein to her abilities and to plot her escape from the desperate life she had led for eighteen years. Can you not think of any measure Merope could have taken to make Tom Riddle forget his muggle companion and fall in love with her instead? The Imperious Curse, Harry suggested. Or a love potion? Very good. Personally, I am inclined to think that she used a love potion. I am sure it would have seemed more romantic to her, and I do not think it would have been very difficult, some hot day, when Riddle was riding alone, to persuade him to take a drink of water. In any case, within a few months of the scene we have just witnessed, the village of Little Hangleton enjoyed a tremendous scandal. You can imagine the gossip it caused when the squire's son ran off with the tramp's daughter, Marope. 
but the villagers' shock was nothing to Marvolo's. He returned from Azkaban, expecting to find his daughter dutifully awaiting his return with a hot meal ready on his table. Instead, he found a clear inch of dust and her note of farewell, explaining what she had done. From all that had been able to, from all that I have been able to discover, he never mentioned her name or existence from that time forth. The shock of her desertion may have contributed to his early death. Or perhaps he had simply never learned to feed himself. Azkaban had greatly weakened Marvolo, and he did not live to see Morphin return to the cottage. And Marope? She she died, didn't she? Wasn't Voldemort brought up in an orphanage? Yes, indeed, said Dumbledore. We must do a certain amount of guessing here, although I do not think it is difficult to deduce what happened. You see... Within a few months of their runaway marriage, Tom Riddle reappeared at the manor house in Little Hangleton without his wife. The rumor flew around the neighborhood that he was talking of being hoodwinked and taken in. What he meant, I am sure, is that he had been under an enchantment that had now lifted. Though I dare say he did not dare use those precise words for fear of being thought insane. When they heard what he was saying, however... The villagers guessed that Marope had lied to Tom Riddle, pretending that she was going to have his baby, and that he had married her for this reason. But she did have his baby, but not until a year after they were married. Tom Riddle left her while she was still pregnant. What went wrong? asked Harry. Why did the love potion stop working? Again, this is guesswork, said Dumbledore. But I believe that Marope, who was deeply in love with her husband, could not bear to continue enslaving him by magical means. I believe that she made the choice to stop giving him the potion. Perhaps, besotted as she was, she had convinced herself that he would by now have fallen in love with her in return. Perhaps, she thought, he would stay for the baby's sake. If so, she was wrong on both counts. He left her, never saw her again, and never troubled to discover what became of his son. The sky outside was inky black and the lamps in Dumbledore's office seemed to glow more brightly than before. "'I think that will do for tonight, Harry,' said Dumbledore, after a moment or two. "'Yes, sir,' said Harry. He got to his feet but did not leave. "'Sir, is it important to know all this about Dumbledore's past?' "'Very important, I think,' said Dumbledore. "'And it, it's got something to do with the prophecy.' "'It has everything to do with the prophecy.' Right, said Harry, a little confused, but reassured all the same. He turned to go, then another question occurred to him, and he turned back again. Sir, am I allowed to tell Ron and Hermione everything you've told me? Dumbledore considered him for a moment, then said, Yes, I think Mr. Weasley and Miss Granger have proved themselves trustworthy. But Harry, I am going to ask you to ask them not to repeat any of this to anybody else. It would not be a good idea if word got around how much you know, or, I'm sorry, how much I know, or suspect, about Lord Voldemort's secrets. No, sir, I'll make sure it's just Ron and Hermione. Good night. He turned away again and was almost at the door when he saw it, sitting on one of the little spindle-legged tables that supported so many frail-looking silver instruments. With an ugly gold ring set with a large cracked black stone sir said harry staring at it that ring 
Yes, said Dumbledore. You were wearing it when we visited Professor Slughorn that night. So I was, Dumbledore agreed. But isn't it, sir, isn't it the same ring Marvolo, Marvolo Gaunt showed Ogden? Dumbledore bowed his head. The very same. But how come, have you always had it? No, I acquired it very recently, said Dumbledore, a few days before I came to fetch you from your aunt and uncle's, in fact. That would be around the time you injured your hand then, sir. Around that time, yes, Harry. Harry hesitated. Dumbledore was smiling. Sir, how exactly? Too late, Harry. You shall hear the story another time. Good night. Good night, sir. <sighs> Good night, Libby. Bethan, Chapter 10.